What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two barchies and a bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden. Bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. Okay, so we are one spiral down this week, but we will join us on our next pod. We're going to start things with Flash. Best to get our grievances and some of our highlight moments from that episode out the way since they decided to hand us one with no OGs and no leads. Uh, That was a interesting choice for the final season. It was a choice. Uh, We'll we'll leave it at that. Um, But I've just recently watched this episode, so I have all these thoughts spiraling in my head. Um, So tell me, Sabrina, what did you think of it? I, if you've seen my live tweet, I complained the entire time. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it is more so, in all honesty, it's decently written, right? There's not necessarily anything wrong with the episode. It just feels out of place in the final season for one. And then for two, they were doing a lot of, they made a lot of writing decisions that just didn't quite make sense with what we know about the team. So like Cecile's big arc is about how she feels like she's failing as a mom. But the, the sticking point is that she won't be able to make it in time to do Jenna's breakfast, birthday breakfast. And I, and I was like, why do we need a train? <laughs> like, <laughs> we have a teleporting device and we have Allegra who can teleport you. Like, after, like, and then I just didn't, I couldn't get with her story after that. I was like, she's like, I'm a bad mom. It's like, you kind of are now. Because the, how, did we, <laughs> how did we not think of the, the teleporting? And then she was just eating breakfast all fine at the table with Allegra in um, check by the end of the episode. And I was like, fine, whatever, whatever. <laughs> Sabrina was like, you did not think outside the box, Cecile. <laughs> she didn't. She didn't at all. But um, I have to say, I completely agree with you. I think it was a very decent episode. I understand the need for these episodes every once in a while, because I'm pretty sure, was it Murder, She Wrote or something? Back in the day when they were doing 22 episodes and Angela Lansbury would need a break, they'd have her do these like breakout episodes where she'd like narrate a separate murder mystery that involved characters that weren't related to the show. So she'd appear at the start of the episode to narrate it and appear at the end of the episode to close the narration. And this is pretty much exactly the same as that. We had Barry and Iris in the opening scene. We had Barry and Iris in the closing scene. But in between, it was just the B team, as the fans would call them, part of Team Flash. It was just them solving the crime. And I do think these kinds of episodes can work on TV. And on a base layer, this episode absolutely worked. But the wrong time the wrong season and it was doing storylines that even though I appreciate Cecile's worry about her family completely appreciated that but we kind of needed it in last week's episode she should not have been all cheery about them going off into the countryside I appreciate the fact they made time for Aftermath but considering we're talking about the same season that had no time to grieve one of the main characters who was killed off in a like a subplot and nobody cared about it because there's a lookalike in front of them this is not ticking those aftermath boxes for me. But generally, I, I yet again, I thought Danielle Nicolette did a great job with the material. I don't think she gets enough credit as an actress. I think she did a great job with it. And I really appreciate, I, I did feel Cecile's uh, trauma and uh, turmoil over everything she was going through. 
But like you said, there were some loopholes that they could have avoided that. These kind of like murder she wrote breakout episodes don't work in a show like The Flash where there is literally a workaround for every single one of these problems, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like this was like season one or something, or perhaps even like season two, where we just did not have the technology to be able to circumvent issues that a normal person would have to deal with. I would have been fine with it. But I also think like as much as the material works I, for Cecile, I was like, I just don't see how she didn't already see how long distance parenting would be a problem with Jenna as young as she is. And that like, we didn't plan ahead to make it on time for the breakfast uh, for her daughter's mm-hmm. birthday. And then I think the show forgot that Cecile has an adult daughter. So I just don't, she was a single mom. So balancing a schedule is something she would have already mastered mm-hmm. <laughs> and would have known the importance of always of making sure that your child feels like, even though you have a busy job that you are around, but the show was like, I don't know who that young lady is. I don't know. Like, we just, <laughs> and I was like, fine. Um, I think also to speak to your point about skipping over grief arcs, I thought, I don't care about Mark and Frost, but they truly are acting in their scenes. I thought it was a beautiful moment between him and Keon where he is speaking to her about how her kissing him made him think for a moment that Frost was back. And I enjoyed that scene Um, even in my complaints, uh, because I just feel like it's out of place. But it also makes me like wonder why they chose to have an extended beef arc fronted by Mark for Frost and no one's thinking about Caitlin. Like they Mm -hmm. don't really even mention her. We have, we, but we have scene after scene after scene about Frost through Mark who's going through it. And everybody else is like, "Mm, we miss Caitlin. She made her decision. And then that's kind of it. It's amazing that you brought that up because I, I I was watching that episode literally about an hour ago and that was, I wanted to like stay in that moment and stay with that scene because I thought it was a really powerful moment. And like you said, these the show hasn't done that much justice to these characters yet. So maybe that's credit to the performance, the music, the lighting, whatever. But that scene was beautiful and it did let you sit with it. And I completely agree. I also was like, wait, if we're still doing this for Frost, where is the grief for Kitman? And then they brought up Dr. Carla Tannhauser later on, Caitlin's mom, as though she's just like completely not even minding the fact that she has to do all this research for Keon and hasn't once asked about, wait a minute, my two daughters are dead now. Wait, why didn't you fill me in on this? Like there's real important storylines to be told here. And I feel like this episode, not even this episode, this episode wanted to tell them. The season didn't want to tell them. And that's where mm. the season's gone wrong. Um but yeah, seeing the snow come down, the fact we're learning more about Keon, I am growing a little bit more attached to Mark as we go on. If if I feel like if they'd been doing this for the last two seasons, I would like him a lot more. But he's kind of just been like snarling and grunting his way through badass one-liners the whole time. And there's not really much to grow there. Whereas now we're finally seeing some depth. It doesn't exactly work after he literally had a heel turn a few weeks ago and turned on the whole team. But we're over that now. That's that's ancient history. Not so ancient. But yeah. Uh, generally i like where they're going i don't know if they're going to set him up with keon that would be a bit strange considering she looks like frost but i do think they're doing a better job of building them as a potential pairing than they did with mark and frost just because mark and frost was very much off screen and they were doing all these wild adventures off screen so you never really got to know that but you felt mark's grief and i appreciate that because the season has been jumping over far too much and 
it's still a testament that we feel a, this grief almost a season later, but it also does highlight the issue with Caitlin that not a single person has shed a single tear over one of the main characters just dying because, oh, it's okay, her lookalike's right in front of us. And if we've learned anything about the show, doppelgangers are not the same person. So there should have been a little bit more gravity there. There should have been. It is weird, though, because, like, Keon doesn't even... Keon looks like Caitlyn. She does not mm -hmm. really look like Frost. Um, But they're putting a lot of Mark's grief onto Keon based on Frost's powers in the episode. And I was like, I don't... I feel like it would be weirder for Team Flash to be face-to-face -face with Caitlyn with blue highlights. <laughs> like, that's just... <laughs> like, that just seems to be... But they, they seem to be fine. Um, we're actually more concerned with our love lives and our home lives than um, anything else. Um, just to touch on the Chester and Allegra, I think they kind of got a break this episode. They they got to be their version of cute. I say that because I don't like them, but I know the show wants, wants us <laughs> to see them as cute. Um, I, and they're fine. Um, it just made... I, part of me, and I love West Allen, part of me feels like they were shoehorned in. And I almost wish that they weren't in the episode because it just made me want to go along on their road trip and we didn't get to do that and then when we come back and we do the um the impromptu baby shower we only get to stay there for like some hugs mm. and then then yeah. we're, we're gone so I was like I thought the scene was gonna be Keon then letting them know they were having twins <laughs> that was just gonna be another <laughs> reveal uh because it just didn't seem like after everything that the episode had talked about it didn't mesh with it at all mm. no I agree completely it's funny because when Iris showed up and Barry showed up I was like oh look at that style Iris's hair looked amazing Beautiful. I was like exactly I was like no don't go I want to come with you and that's the reason I love the premiere the most because when they went off and did all this exciting stuff we got to go with them mm -hmm. And now it's back to the same old thing we've been doing since like season five, which is writing them out of an episode. Literally, I'm pretty sure that was it in season four when they went on their honeymoon after, was it before or after Barry got out of jail? They literally had this exact team moment with Team Flash. They showed up at the start and then were all happy to go away and then disappeared for the whole episode and then returned mm -hmm. at the end. And once wasn't good twice you're it's becoming a bit of a crutch now and i'm pretty sure this is probably the third or fourth time we've done this but like the episode worked and to go back to uh, allegra chester and cecile they're nobody's favorite characters but there is absolutely potential there with them and my i i understand why fans of those characters would be frustrated with episodes like this because you get to see that potential in episodes like this which is the episodes nobody wants to say because they're standalone <laughs> and filler so you get to see their potential hair like allegra some beautiful monologues there was real there, remember when allegra was introduced with nash wells real depth behind that character mm -hmm. but she's gotten lumped in with this like quirky chester storyline and it's just that's very 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 much run of the mill whereas there was some real depth there you really got to see that same with seal i said i much prefer cecile when she's doing serious storylines and not the comic relief of the situation you got to see plenty of that here so why when we why when we get to see these flashes 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 of brilliance here are we just going to go back to the same quirky old thing and force them into the background? They should be in the background when the leads are on. Absolutely. But I think they're, I think those characters could be handled better so that they don't need these standalone episodes to breathe, that they could maybe just shine throughout the whole of the season, if that makes sense. It does. I just feel like if we're going to get filler episodes, I wish it was filler episodes with the leads in so that we could have yeah. them helping steer them. 
I I don't want like my dislike of the episode to overshadow how much the Lady Luck storyline is actually fun. Like it's a fun choice for a for a filler episode. We haven't seen her in a long while. Mm-hmm. It was nice to get an update. Um, and like the mystery around why her good fortune had just completely turned on her was interesting. Um, I don't think that the end part where they where they explained away why Cecile was messing up without actually explaining why Allegra's powers are messing up um, <laughs> by saying it wasn't actually Lady Luck's um, bad luck. And I was like, well, we could have just let it be Lady Luck's bad luck. But I guess towards the end of the writing, maybe someone realized they needed to have put dampers on her and dampeners on her and they didn't. Because mm-hmm. someone had tweeted that and I was like, you know, I forgot that. They too, they <laughs> should they should have put those on her, her wrists so that she wasn't interfering. But in any case, it's a solid sort of mystery-esque case that works for the Flash that doesn't feel like they've d- done something like this in a while that did highlight how these characters could work in a story. I just wish that it didn't feel like they were getting the leads out the way so that mm-hmm. we could they could play with the OCs. I just didn't, I didn't like that part of it or the fact that now no one who is a West is actually living in the West house. Oh yeah, when you put it like that, that doesn't sound very good at all. I mean... I'm glad Cecile's not on her own. Again, it's a nice extension of the fact that this woman was like, yay, my family's leaving me, but I'm going to live alone because I get to be a superhero. I was like, that, no, that, that doesn't add up for me. These are supposed to be real ad- adults. So I appreciate the fact we finally learned, saw some of that this week and that Cecile was feeling a little bit lonely. And that's totally understandable. But yeah, I know what you mean. The West House has been such a fixture of the show I always get happy when we see it on screen because we do I honestly feel like we don't see it enough don't get me wrong love Barry and Iris's apartment but there's such a warmliness about the house the, the west house and I feel like we don't see it enough I'm not really sure we need to see it now that Allegra and Cecile are still in it. but uh, yeah I, I I I yeah I don't like the fact there aren't any Weston and I get your point but like to go back to the Lady Luck storyline I'm very happy we saw Becca again I was watching it and you know, no, everyone knows I had it season four, but I was like, wait, didn't she die? And so I'm glad they explained that away, the crisis reset. That Not really sure how she would know what crisis was because the whole point was that every, nobody knew what crisis was, but it was a voiceover. We'll let it slide. Um, but yeah, she's just such a fun character, such a quirky character and such a likable character. And that's mm-hmm. why I hated the fact they killed her off in season four. Um, so that was nice. And she did, even though she was quirky and lighthearted, it still it worked well with Cecile's more serious tone. I can't I can't, I do just want to like credit the episode. It did everything it was supposed to. It was a fun little kipper. Like I said, this plot would have worked on Murder She Wrote, it would have worked on Arrow, it would have worked on any other shows. I just feel the thing that works against it on the flash is that it comes in the middle of the final season when it finally felt like we were ramping up sticks and then suddenly we're just completely stalled. The leads are written out. It's just it's all done in a very formulaic way that makes you think why now why is this happening and why aren't the leads present for the storyline I think there is a better way they could handle writing the leads out because very well aware of the fact that they need a break they deserve a break but I'm pretty sure next week's episode or well two weeks episode from now will feature Iris and Dreamer at the Supergirl's Dreamer at the center of it which that to me sounds so much fun I can't wait for that episode but it means Barry will probably have a more restrained role or a reserved role in that episode but he'll still be there at Iris's bedside trying to get her out of the dream sequence that she's fallen into that's how you that's how you give a lead a more restricted role 
but keep them relevant in the episode than having to write them out at the start and write them out at the end. And I'm sure we'll have a more Barry-centric episode. We know Oliver Queen's coming back. We know uh, Wally West's coming back. And we know John Diggle's coming back. I think that's part of the interval as well. So I'm sure Iris won't be involved in that episode as much because it'll be a more Barry-centric one. So I just think there is a better way of balancing it than having to automatically write the two of them out at once. I just think that could have been done better. But all in all, this was a very enjoyable episode. I love Becca. And I do like Cecile and Allegra when they have storylines like this. I just wish it wasn't always just had to be focused on them to let them shine like this so that we can go back and make them the quirky comic relief for the rest of the season. Yeah, well, it's interesting. This season, and I'm just thinking about this now, uh, feels very like we're doing vignettes, right? Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like a season that has a central big bad or a central plot. We're kind of just trucking along towards the end with the simmering plot of the babies coming. But everything mm-hmm. else, like I wonder to lower my expectations some more if um this is actually a final season that is more is going to be full of filler. Like um great episodes. Like I'm excited for the Iris and Dreamer episode, but it's essentially going to operate like filler exciting mm-hmm. filler but filler nonetheless so I'm just like is it a season full of filler because if that's the case then I need to adjust the way that I think about the Flash's final season I don't I wouldn't like that the Flash's final season is vignettes but at this point it is what it is and they're trying to finish so um do you think we're, we're getting vignettes or do you think eventually we're gonna get a story though uh we are in episode six already so they don't have it much is. story left if I think there's 13 episodes a season and if you divide it by three, you can't divide 13 by three, but there's you, you can divide 12 by three and then that's four sets of th- three sets, four, whatever. My mental math's not good. But the point <laughs> is the, the season premiere was a standalone episode. It didn't really tie to anything, but it was a wonderful breath of fresh air. We did four Red Death episodes. I'm pretty sure we're going to do four interval episodes and then we're going to do four episodes of what the final storyline is. But it is but as from a math standpoint, that makes sense from a final season storyline standpoint. I don't think it makes as much sense because you should be building towards something that feels game changing. And how is four episodes of a final season storyline going to feel more game changing than, I don't know, the reverse flash arc of season one, which had 22 episodes to build to it. The days of 22 episodes built to, building towards a storyline is gone, but I feel like they could have used these 13 episodes to build towards a single storyline. And I get that making them shorter uh, leaves less need for like plot holes like the Cicada storyline in season 5 did not need to be 22 episodes that was full of plot holes that went on far too long same with The Thinker in season 4 but so I get that cutting it down means less room for plot holes and that's a good thing but we have 13 episodes here we could have had a standalone 13 episode season with a big villain why ha- Why not have the Red Death unite the big bads which is what we think we're going to get in the final season just or the final few episodes just without the Red Death I just think there would have been a better way of tying the story, two storylines together rather than breaking them up with an interval and making them totally separate I am definitely on board to see where it goes but I just feel like for a final season, it did. It shouldn't have operated like any other season, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I just, it's a weird choice. It just feels like we they were handed a lower episode count than they thought they were going to get, and we might have changed direction of how we wanted to do the season. Um, mm-hmm. And instead, we're just going to tell like little vignettes, little short stories that um, can capture the audience or it may not capture the audience, but it's what's going to be on screen. I am... Um, I don't like that this is how the flash is going out, uh, but there's, 
I want to accept it for what it is. Like I want to like at the end, like on episode 13, which I probably will still end up bawling anyway, but I want to feel like we came to a satisfying conclusion of the story we've been watching since 2014. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we're going to get that. Yeah. And I'm totally on board with that. I agree. I agree with you because I want to finish the flash feeling like all was said and done. There was nowhere else the story could have gone. And let's be honest, if it had gone on for three more seasons, they'd have found a way. But I just want to feel completely and utterly fulfilled by the final season. And I think it's going to be hard to do that when you may not even feel completely and utterly fulfilled by the final storyline because it'll only get four episodes to breathe. Yeah, there are some final seasons go on too long. Arrow's final season was unusual because it was all centered around Crisis, but that show needed a refresh and Crisis was the refresh it needed. So we had 10 wonderful standalone episodes that all tied towards an overall arc, but it also made them feel like comic standalone adventures. The Flash has totally missed the point in this and it's just gone back to the same storyline as usual. So I want to feel fulfilled and I'm sure the series finale will be a phenomenal episode. I just hope it's the icing on a phenomenal season because we're struggling at the moment. We are, and I, I don't, I have faith that it's going to change. But I feel like we should leave Central City to move to Smallville, and I guess partially Metropolis, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so with Smallville, um, we find, well, Smallville, with Superman and Lois, we <laughs> finally get to talk about season three in a spoilery way. Um, Rewatching it for, so to watch it live during um its premiere, I fell even more in love with the episode. It just, it talk about breathing well it just breathes so well for what 45 minutes they get a lot done um in terms of character development while still seeding the plot they're going to be working through in the first half of the season I just really felt like I was back with the Kents again I was back with the Cushings I was like back with the Irons I just really enjoyed everyone's space in the episode uh and then it like hits you in the face with the with the villain plot, and that's so creepy. Like we went from wholesome and bright to some uh, Bruno Mannheim has someone on an operating table, and we're bringing him back to life for reasons unknown. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great introduction because I think it just highlights how much happened in that episode. Like we say, the Superman at Lois is like a streaming quality TV show, and it is. But at the end of the day, it still only has 40 minutes to work with. And like, look at all it managed to pack into those 40 minutes. Um, Like where to even begin? First of all, I just want to say I love the like familial tone of this episode. Lois was all about how it's bringing people closer. And you totally felt that. I feel like this show balances its ensemble cast so well. And like even from that opening montage where you went from uh, Sam shutting down the mines to Lana uh, excelling as mayor um, to seeing Lois and Clark in their uh, in their office and then in their bedroom. And it, it was such a lovely cut. And you got to see so many different aspects of what's going on in Smallville. Sometimes a montage can be used as like a crutch to lean on as and like just get that out of the way. But I feel like that did such a good b- job of bridging the gap between two and three because you really got to see where everybody was. And I love these characters so much. And it was just so nice to just... It's uh, though The reason Superman at Lois works is because it's got that whole like small town vibe. You know everybody, everybody knows everybody. And in those first five minutes, it was just like catching up with old friends. It was, and I feel like even though it was only 27 days, I, 
it felt like there had been enough time between us seeing the season two finale and being dropped into the season three premiere that you wanted to know what they had been up to, even though it had been less than a month. I just, there was a real balance of like the super part of their lives versus the normalcy of everything. Cause you have Clark and Jordan like flying across the water and, uh, and being in, in the fortress of solitude. And then you have <laughs> Lois trying to hold on to her sanity and her anxiety <laughs> helping John drive like it's two very important aspects of their children's lives separate but important and you get to see how they both how both parents handle it without I feel like it doesn't even though I'm invested in where Jordan's superpower journey goes I also am invested in where Jonathan's life goes as a regular teenager I feel like mm -hmm. for a show that has supers in it it doesn't diminish the importance of the storylines going forward for the humans whether they're involved in crime fighting or not I'm just like I want to know if John gets his driver's license which he did um, and how he's doing at school and, and how his friend group is. I think it's in, just as important as uh, Jordan's situation with learning how to be a superhero, which he's not doing well. I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, chaos. Absolute chaos. That boy always brings with him. But um, yeah, no, I, I have to say it. Mark and Jordan work so well together, but I'm glad we're getting to see more of Lois and Jonathan because they also work very, very well together. And you got to see plenty of that in the premiere episode. And while Jonathan is excelling at being a human, Jordan is not excelling at being a super. And I think feel like he, he's always going to get things wrong before he ultimately gets them right. Jordan really came through for the family in the end of season two when he was like their only hope in fighting the doppelgangers from the Mirrorverse. But um. I love that this show does not treat obstacles like just like another little, little like trope in the road of storytelling. It feels like real character driven um, family driven storylines. And I just feel like we're, we're going to try and it's going to be a family uh, effort to try to get Jordan back up there and turn him into the hero. He's not just he's not just going to suddenly come into his powers like you'd see in a random episode of The Flash. It's a journey. And I do appreciate that. Of course, every journey has obstacles and Jordan is literally being his own obstacle at this point. Um, But like, yeah, his, his I heard it under control scene made me laugh because boy you did not have that under control um but clark getting to be all like affirmative and father driven and being like home now uh, you, we don't see that side of clark often so but you know how important uh protecting jordan and his identity is to him so you got to see that and then on the opposite end you had lois acting like your father is a terrible driver because she couldn't let go of jonathan and she wanted him to be such a good driver and she wanted him to be safe more than anything else like in the grand scheme of things, maybe learning to drive isn't on the same level as being a superhero or whatever. This show treats them like equals, and I cannot appreciate that enough. Everything is important to this family dynamic, and you get to see all sides of it. I know Jonathan was a little left out in season one, I think, but they made up for that in season two, and I feel like they're going to keep making up for it in season three. And on that note, can we just talk about how great Michael Bishop is as the new Jonathan? He is excellent. I think in our spoiler-free review, we were talking about he brings a different energy to John. And I think it's because he's so chill. Like, I think mm -hmm. it just feels like he's really found a, a balance, right? Like, if, I really like Michael Bishop's interpretation of Jonathan. He, I've always felt that Jonathan leans more towards Lois's temperament. Mm -hmm. um, but I really feel 
that with Michael Bishop's interpretation. Um, he's kind of like, look, this is how things are going. Like, so this is the way that we're operating through him. Not to say that he can't have his own little moments because it was cute when he had um, told Jordan that maybe you didn't actually have it under control. Mm-hmm. And Jordan flipped it on him. He's like, well, maybe you didn't have it, the car under control. <laughs> uh, but I love that it is, that John seems to, feel uh, uh, how it's coming across in the premiere that he's found his place like he's not really fighting against uh feeling like the one left out anymore he's where he had his friend group and they were having fun at the birthday party and you could just he just felt like a kid like that you would want to know like you'd want to show up to to um John and Jordan's birthday and be like hi John like if you were 16 you're like I got to go (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that's I really appreciated that because again the family story takes the center stage which it should in a premiere but at the same time it feels like Jonathan's finally kind of landed on his feet they haven't forgotten about everything that happened because you saw Coach Gaines was like you're going to ruin this job like you ruined my last one because of all the things that went down with the XK last season they haven't forgot about it but I do feel like they're ready to move on from it so I do we get to see a little bit more of a fun loving lively Jonathan going forward going out with his friends having fun on, just having a damn good time and I know little it's not a spoiler to say he will have more scenes with more people his age in episode two and I just feel like that's the way to go because I feel like some of the teens could use a little work but generally when all four of the teens are together Sarah Jordan Jonathan and Natalie you're in for a good time because the show knows how to write for teenagers having a good time and yeah, I can't wait to see more of that throughout the season. And I think, think Michael Bishop, Alex Garfin, um, and the rest of the cast, not just the teens, by the way, the parents as well, the way they get involved in it, I think all of them will thrive as storylines like that go. Because this isn't just a superhero show, it's a family show, and you got to see that so much. And on that note, we got to see a lot, like as far as the adults go as well. I always said the show is like parenthood meets the flash, but the premiere leaned more on the parenthood angle. And I think that's what Superman and Lois does best. It does. I feel like with the adults, they really got to interact with each other and um and speak with one another in in ways that were both funny and, and serious. Like I enjoyed Clark and Lois's segments. I like that they are yeah. like they're happy together. They're you they're putting Tauro's properties to use. They are <laughs> very much so. <laughs> um, but they're also, you know, very invested in their boys' lives. So they're taking time mm-hmm. for each other, but they're taking also time to be with their kids and to be with their friends. I think it's so cute that like Lana was like, y'all are doing good. And like Clark is like glowing and Lois is smug about it. And they're kind of they're weighing in on the potential like Kent baby I know that at the end of the episode they gave that from us <laughs> but the like the joy that they were sitting in at the possibility of having another child and Clark trying to come to terms with his feelings on it and Lois basically beaming at the idea mm-hmm. and that um that John and Lana got to talk about it with them like it was nice for them to be able to lean on other adults in their lives to have a conversation about their feelings Mm, definitely and they were two of my favorite scenes from the episode I just have to say that 
Clark and Lana have such good best friend chemistry and we've known that from the start but also Lois and Lana have such good best friend chemistry and I think that's an important part of the show because that relationship was not established in the first season they had to build towards it they had to work towards it and it's just you did the two scenes with the one Lana one the Lana uh, scene with Clark and the Lana scene with Lois both of them relatively back to back it was just so joyous seeing Lana get to go Clark Kent when he said how good things were with Lois but at the same time Lois and Lana talking about the baby and the little thing and Betsy added and the little like ad libs the little chemistry the little conversations the dialogue it all serves that so well Lana is such a good best friend and one thing I'm really looking forward to this season is that she's in the loop because they did such a good job keeping her with the more realistic uh, standalone family driven storylines and I hope we get to see plenty of that this season but she's now in the super loop and I think they'll be relying on her more and leaning on her more and that she might be involved in the main story more and I think that's a good thing because I just I I love seeing Lana get involved and she's always at the heart of some family drama. So the fact that she might now get to be the best friend or the crutch that people lean on when they need a, a, a friendly voice to chat to, love that for her and I can't wait to see more of those scenes. Well, and it's also nice that they get to be like, they make powers a little mundane sometimes. Like <laughs> the moment when Clark like walks up and he tells her the mold has actually spread through the entire wall because <laughs> he just uses his vision. I, was, I appreciate that so much about Superman and Lois because he would use his powers every day like he like for yeah. for super things and for just mundane things so it was just nice like she didn't even have to hire a contractor to, to tear out the whole wall like don't even bother it's the whole <laughs> like just just start the process to find the money um i just think that that those little bits those little pieces of their everyday lives it's just so nice to see or even like with lana trying to do a good job as mayor, but also dealing with her impending divorce and the emotional quality of her, yes, being busy, but also probably not really wanting to end her marriage. Um, not because she doesn't think that it's time to move on to the next path, but because it's something sad and it ha- like it's an acknowledgement of the end. And again, some fun is with Kyle too. Like Kyle and Chrissy, no one would have saw that coming Mm-mm. at all. No, they, I love it when characters that never interacted with one another suddenly start interacting with one another. Of course, it makes it a little bit, wait a minute, why are you two sharing a scene together? You can maybe see that coming. But like at the end of the day, when you have such an ensemble cast and parts of the storyline are set about super beans and parts of the storylines are set about town halls, two completely different ends of the spectrum, not everyone's going to interact. So we're now three seasons in and we're starting to see some new dynamics between people. And I can confirm that you might see some other ones in future episodes. So I just wanted to say that I think that that is such a refreshing small town. So I don't mean soapy as a bad thing, but it's something you would see in soaps. They just so not, not everyone's going to interact or be best friends at the start, but certain things will happen, lead certain people into each other's lives. And that's such a realistic thing. So even though I'm not like champion Kyle and Chrissy, so authentic, so realistic, completely appreciated that they took time to tell a story like that. No idea where it's going to go, but it was so unforeseen and so different. And I think they both kind of needed each other at that time because they needed a distraction. I'm not really sure Chrissy's awkward teenage interactions with Jonathan and Jordan's really equates to the stuff that Kyle's going through with his marriage. But you know what? They needed a good time and they needed a distraction and they found each other. I don't know how permanently they found each other, but like, it worked in the moment. But also on that note, can we go back to Chrissy's interaction with the teenagers? Because that was kind of on un- what? 
It was so unfortunate. As I, I know that it's supposed to be a comedic beat. I wouldn't necessarily say that it landed well. I just feel mm -hmm. like the Chrissy we know is awkward. I don't know if she'd be that awkward in front of 16-year-olds. Like, mm -hmm. I, I did we have a flashback to our own high school days or something? Like, what happened? Like, that we would just completely lose it in, in front of some minors. Like, there are, of course, adults that should just never be around teenagers because <laughs> they can't help but try to be down or hip because they just they want to relate and I just felt like that wasn't Chrissy I felt like Chrissy would just awkwardly be like I got you an alarm clock and then hand yeah. it to them <laughs> yeah I know the scene lingered for far too long but I know that was intentional it was supposed to make us feel awkward and it did but I was like what is the purpose of this I meant meant Chrissy did say a nice line, which is the, the biggest event on her social calendar is a teenage birthday party. So I feel like we could be going somewhere with that and that she's trying to get out more. And I don't know whether Kyle will be involved in that. But again, if that's the purpose, I do admire that. Because again, it's a very what people might call mundane storyline in a super show. But Superman at Lois doesn't care. It makes time for the mundane. It makes time for the realistic. And that's where it thrives. Um it's still a very unusual scene but generally I can appreciate where the storylines go on and on the Kyle note he's made mistakes he did a horrible thing and he's been adequately punished for it and his marriage is now ended but I honestly wouldn't be surprised if him and Lana find their way back to each other because the show has done such a good job of like portraying them as they are each other's soulmates kind of even though real life happens and sometimes soulmates don't always end up together it's just they have an understanding of each other that nobody else will ever have of, of each other persons so I wouldn't be surprised if they find their way back to each other in the future but I feel like the show is very much enjoying itself in the present now and knows that they are the past they might be the future again but they aren't the present so let's have a little bit of fun with that and start some more realistic storylines and as you see Lana's struggling to juggle everything and then Kyle's still really hurt by the way things panned out and he's guilty over what he'd done so I do think there's some scope there for great storylines and I hope we get to see them going forward I think so too because Lana's issue besides the cheating was how much she had shrunk herself to make yeah. room for Kyle and his drinking was out of hand and his um, depression was a lot because of the small bill wasn't going and where the town was drying up and he did not react to it well. He's in a healthier place now. So perhaps as he grows, they might be able to find their way back. I'm okay either way. Mm -hmm. I, um, I'm really invested in, in Lana's mayor journey um, and yeah. potentially if she's going to date anybody else, perhaps Tao will come back in another season this is just con to confirm it for people. Todd Helping did say that Tyra would not be in this season. So, um, sorry guys, <laughs> but he <laughs> might, like if they think an additional season, I could see them maybe toying with um, a relationship between him and Lana just based on the bizarre world thing. Um, mm -hmm. But who knows? Uh, I just think I really enjoyed that with the mundanity of everything, we do get super stuff too. It's like a mixture of things. Um, there's that there's a lot happening at the barbecue birthday like you have fun happening you have awkwardness happening and then you have john taking sam to task for getting natalie's hopes up because she misses her grandfather desperately and she is she's aware that's not her grandfather but she thought maybe she'd be able to have a relationship with his doppelganger of some kind and all sam cared about was getting her genius level um skills um, with the DOD and John was like she's a 
child. She's a teenager who needs to be around other teenagers and not your eggheads. And you should not be using her. She wants to get to know you. And I like that Sam took that note. Mm -hmm. It was a very fiery note. And I was very there for that energy. (laughs) (laughs) And he corrected his behavior. um, And I think sometimes it's easier for Sam to do that with kids than it is Mm -hmm. for him to do that with adults. But I appreciated that he was taking the task and then he fixed the situation. Yeah, I completely agree. And I have to say, I adore the Superman at Lois version of Sam Lane because the Sam Lane we saw in the comics and the Sam Lane we've seen in the likes of Smallville and the one in Supergirl was complete and utter trash. I am sorry. I Oh, what a horrible person. But this Sam Lane is not trash. He absolutely does the wrong thing on so many occasions. But even though he's kind of pig-headed and stubborn, he will learn from his mistakes and try to do better. And that is a far more well-rounded character. I don't think Sam Lane always means harm, at least this version. He doesn't always mean harm, but he's aware of the fact that he can cause it. And I thought that scene with him and Natalie at the end where he admitted that he's not good with people in general, let alone kids or whatever, and he always says the wrong thing. Beautiful, beautiful scene. And the way Natalie started smiling endearingly at him, I felt myself doing the same thing because you don't see Sam get to be that like open as much with the exception of Lois, who he was always open with. I just feel like... I. Ever since he moved out of the DOD, I think he's moved back into it now, apparently. But ever since he moved out of the DOD, we really get to see Sam Lane flourish as a character. And I I cannot wait. I hope this relationship he has with Natalie produces so many more meaningful moments because that's another one of those new dynamics we talked about. And it was so beautiful. It was. And I just, there's just so much potential for growth for everybody, which is why I am for the decision of breaking up Jordan and Sarah, even though it's hilarious that they only made it 27 days. (laughs) But I think if they can just, you know, let them be broken up and fingers crossed go their separate ways, uh, that they too will grow as characters. I absolutely hated their scenes in in the premieres i i appreciated that sarah set boundaries what i didn't appreciate was how she treated jordan um that diner scene where he got her an elephant for malaysia and she just did not want it was just like girlfriends do that though like he he heard something he went to go stop it he got you an elephant on the way what why can't we have the elephant it, it, it wasn't a token of love it might be a token of affection but like it can still be platonic affection <laughs> right right i literally i told you at reed last week if i had superpowers i'd i'd buy you a toy elephant i just like i don't understand why she was reading into this and i know with jordan you can read into things because he feels things very deeply but I just want to say I championed the Jordan and Sarah romance so much in season one. It was refreshing. It was sweet. It was charming. It was heartfelt. But then season two kind of tainted that. And I understand everyone goes through a rough patch, but I feel like season three is now going to jump on the season two part of it instead of the season one part of it. And the longer it drags on, the less and less charming it gets. And all you can do is feel for both of them, I'm not going to shed anyone. All you can do is feel for both of them because they're teenagers. They don't know what they're going through right now. But I just do, I do, I agree with your point. I feel like 
Sarah is asking Jordan to respect her wishes, but it was only in this episode she actually vocalized what those wishes really were. And after last season, when she kind of like dragged him through the mud because she felt guilty over what she did, it's not really fair to expect him to get things right away unless you're up front and tell someone how you feel. And I feel like Sarah has not been doing that. Maybe she did do that sometime in the 27 window or 27 day window. But the thing is, the show only showed us her doing it now in the scene at the birthday party, which the timing might have been off. But I mean, at least she was up front. She was kind of she wasn't really being honest about what she or she wasn't really being clear about what she wanted at the diner scene and she certainly wasn't being clear about what she wanted in the previous season so nobody is harder on Jordan than us today but I think all of us can say that she really you feel for him because he doesn't know how to act after the way things blew up last season and I fear that she might start doing the same thing again unbeknownst to herself I don't think Sarah's being malice at all there's there's nothing mean about her but I do think that she can sometimes forget that the reason they connected was because they were both gentle souls going through something similar. And I think sometimes she forgets that he still is that and that she needs to be more upfront with what their relationship is without hurting his feelings. Because there is an app. Of course, he's going to be hurt that they can't be together. But I feel like she's unnecessarily sharp with him sometimes. She's unnecessarily harsh on him sometimes. We saw that last season when she said, he doesn't understand what I'm going through. When actually the reason they connected was because he did. Um... Yeah, I just think sometimes she overlooks the depth of Jordan, which is shame because that's how they connected in the first place. Yeah, like as a trio, we've discussed how it just seems like she doesn't realize he can't really be her friend right now. Like he, it's it's mm-hmm. he's it's only been twenty seven days, and he's always been more invested in their relationship romantically than she has. Not to say that um, Sarah doesn't love him, but I think he has thrown himself into their relationship to the point where it is hard for him for Jordan to untangle his romantic feelings for Sarah and his friendly ones his his platonic feelings but it also could be like if you were to take romance out of it I think maybe Sarah's forgotten she's his only friend so like Mm. she like yes he has his brother um they didn't really show him and Natalie being friends I think they're just more so friendly uh, mm-hmm. So he doesn't, ha- he doesn't have anybody else. So of course, and it's not just the powers thing. It's not just that he's, she's the only person who knows about his powers and he wants to be able to talk to somebody outside of his parents and his brother and Natalie. Um, it's that you are the only person that he talks to. He doesn't have anybody else. And perhaps he'll go on a friendship journey this season. That would be lovely. And like I said, I think those four teens thrive when they're together. So maybe we will see different dynamics. Like uh, Jonathan and Sarah have a nice friendship, but we could also maybe see the other end of that and see Jordan get to know Natalie a little bit better because Natalie kind of connected with Sarah and Jonathan, but never really had any scenes with Jordan unless they were doing super things. And on the super note, we could end up seeing the two of them do super things again this season. So maybe that's what they'll connect over. That would be quite nice. But I feel like maybe now is a good time to like pivot into the super territory of the storyline mm-hmm. of Superman at Lois. Because first of all, that's those action set pieces in that scene where uh, Superman fought Adam Man. Cinematic, big budget. Loved every moment of it. And I like the fact it didn't overwhelm the episode. Again, very family-driven episode. But seeing Adam Man back was wonderful. Seeing Clark get to fly through the skies of Metropolis like your traditional Superman story, wonderful. And 
the music when we saw the suicide slum sign that they're very much treating Bruno Mannheim like a threat that should not be trifled with and I appreciate that because at the end of the day it looks like he's human so it's it takes a lot for a show to kind of present a threat like this but great job so far I've no idea where the storyline's going but yeah Bruno Mannheim not a threat to be trifled with he isn't I feel I like that we're seeing a different part of Metropolis Mm-hmm. for this for this story and um when we saw it in season one and some of in season two it is all very bright and lovely like yes uh, murders happen but we, <laughs> we typically are seeing the glass storefronts and the people going about their business it it doesn't really look dirty and forgotten mm-hmm. but when like um clark is is fighting adam man and we crash land into south metropolis it's not the metropolis we're used to seeing. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something this season is going to have fans confront. Um, it was very much given this is definitely the side of the city that no one cares about. Like, I mean, if you didn't notice by the dirt and grime everywhere, the suicide slums was very clear that this is this is a forgotten place. And I presumably I would assume that Bruno, Bruno Mannheim is attached to this area in some fashion um and there are going to be very tough talks about who man takes care of and who like yeah. and who's a hero like yes he's great and he's bold and he's wonderful but that means nothing to some of these people that live in this area and it's not just because you know crime happens every day it's it's because like great to have superman but can we have some assistance can can, yeah. we, can we get some funds for this area so i, I do want to know what Bruno Mannheim's agenda is is going to be currently it is reviving the dead for purposes unknown um and he's very creepily like logical like and I, I, I just I felt very uncomfortable when he was like shoot him up again mm-hmm. <laughs> like when he's yeah. like then the, the the person working was like I don't know if it'll work he's like do it again <laughs> <laughs> he he was not exerting himself in that speech. He was he was reserved. He was composed, and it was very intimidating. And I just have to credit uh, Chad L. Coleman, an exceptional introduction as the character. You know, within a couple of seconds that you 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 follow his lead. You do not talk talk against him, and you do exactly what he needs you to do. And another interesting dynamic is uh, the debut of Anomatopoeia, who is a Green Arrow villain in, in the comics, who usually works with non superpowered vigilantes or works against them he's a serial killer who tries to kill them but in this version of the story their powers work on Superman so what does that mean? what is Onomatopoeia? are they an alien? are they a metahuman? I do not know but either way it looks like uh, Bruno Mannheim is using this antidote to his own needs whatever that be and I think that automatically makes them an incredibly frightening duo because like incredible stage presence from Chad L. Coleman as Bruno Mannheim but also there was an uncomfortableness when Clark came across uh, pair for the first time and they were just standing there and they look around and they were gone also just want to credit that city scene where Clark went up it was looking down cinematic we love mm-hmm. this in Superman at Lois but it was very effective in highlighting that this is a purring not to be ta- or that it needs to be taken very seriously um, yeah, I don't, I, I, I think the thing I like the most about this is I have no idea where it's going. It, I, like you said, it made you feel very uncomfortable, very, very quickly. And for a show about superpowers and families to be able to do that so effectively in such a short amount of time is a testament to it. 
but what a parine that could end up being. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. It could be, and I just, I like that it makes you want to watch episode two mm-hmm. to find out what happens. They did not give us anything, but the two two villains working together and how effective that is, especially because at the beginning of the episode, Clark and Lois are already talking about Bruno. Like mm-hmm. so it's it's like, oh, we're setting it up for the investigative part too. Like it's it's gonna be a super powered issue and a journalistic issue. And I like that the the premiere gives you two things to worry about. It gives you the villains to worry about, but it also gives you the mystery behind whatever's going on with Lois because she's not pregnant. Mm-hmm. So and she's I guess potentially sick. And it would be like, what's, you know, who do I have to fight? (laughs) Obviously it's called Superman and Lois, so we will not lose her, but I don't hurt me either as we go through the story. Yeah. I mean, if Reed was here right now, we'd quote Katy Perry and say that was a fallen from cloud nine moment because we were on such a high. The family were so ready for this exciting new adventure. And one moment we found out that they're not going to have it. I felt so bad for Clark and Lois and those quiet looks they exchanged when they found out that she wasn't pregnant. But then that kind of disappointment turned into almost a fear because Lois was kept on the phone and she was like, well, okay, if I'm not pregnant, what is wrong? And so that was, that was a really like worrying and like down to earth kind of moment. And then the fact that that set up beautifully, then the Bruno Mannheim tease and we don't know what he's doing I feel like the finale was sorry the premiere had such like almost like a finale teaser to it it it, it set up everything that's coming next and all of it carries stakes in such a short amount of time you have what's going on with Lois but you also have what Bruno Mannheim up to and I feel like now looking back on it, the premiere kind of teased that right from the very beginning and we just didn't know it to the end. They took us on a journey to get us there and like what a journey it was. And if the rest of the season's anything like that, I think we Superman and Lois could be set to hit new highs. Well, I love then that like we were like gushing about Walker Independence and that is done. And so now we have Superman and Lois to, to reclaim the <laughs> crown because uh, we're always gushing about Superman and Lois. But I mean, you can't help it because... The writing is so excellent. And by the way, Michael, I realized we front-loaded with DC TV because we're about to move <laughs> into Gotham Knights. Whenever it's just the two of us, it's like DC Central. <laughs> Nancy, hey, joking, joking. <laughs> joking, we love <laughs> Nancy. We love Nancy. But you know, it's, I mean, like, I am so, I am taking this moment in and I'm living in this moment because we don't know how much longer DCTV is going to be on this network. So if we can spend a good old hour talking about DCTV, you can bet I'm going to take that. And I feel like that's a good segue to jump right into Gotham Ice. So what's interesting, I think, about Tuesdays is they're marketing it as Super Night. So we have Superman and Lois and then we have Gotham Knights and we're going from like wholesome, but very like gritty when it comes to the action, when it comes to Spanel Lois. And then with Gotham Knights, it's like, oh no, there is no wholesome. <laughs> it's Gotham. <laughs> They're like, we got no time for that. Um, and it's interesting watching Gotham Knights back now and seeing the response to it because we kind of had a 
this is better than I would expect it to be kind of consensus. And it feels like the audience has kind of felt the same way. So happy for Gotham Knights. And it also performed very well in the ratings. So things are going its way for now. And I'm happy about that. But it's an interesting pilot episode now, especially having... This is my third time watching it, especially watching it when you know when the beats are coming. Because like even before I watched the first episode, I felt like I knew it because every CW show has that trailer that literally is just the pilot in five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so technically I've seen the pilot four times. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's interesting. I feel like it's such a familiar story. And looking back on it now, I think I think the show has even more potential. I just think the pilot had to go through the motions to get there. And I'm more excited to see where the story goes next now that we've done that. But it is, it is, I keep saying interesting. I cannot put my finger on why I find it so interesting. There are some wonderful moments in there. There are some great storylines in there. But I'm I'm almost happy it's done so we can move on to the rest of the show now. But generally, I still just want to say that I think this show has so much potential and I really enjoyed the pilot a lot more than I thought I would. That has been the reaction for a lot of people, um, who, which is good. I mean, it's nice to see folks who were on the fence about it give it a chance and actually come out watching it, wanting to see more. I think a lot of it has to do with how in your face the pilot gets once it actually gets rolling. I mean, it is very brutal. Mm-hmm. Like it is. And so you do have like quippy moments between the teens, but then you also have the horror of Bruce's murder. Like it's not just that he was killed. This man was thrown from a building mm-hmm. and like the, like it's just, and he, he has the mask half on his face. Like there's blood everywhere on the sidewalk. Um, and the idea that someone would frame teenagers and not just like and not just some scrappy kids who are trying to make it on the streets like also his adoptive son (laughs) like they someone truly planned this to the t and it is just i think the potential is in the mystery around why someone do this would do this and why they would choose these kids Mm. yeah it's it's the perfect setup but I do have to say, I don't think the GCPD is very bright. This is why they needed Batman in the first place, because ain't no way the Batman is getting killed by a bunch of teenagers, regardless of who their parents are. But I mean, like, credit to the Court of Isles, and we will get into them, but credit to the Court of Isles for concocting the perfect setup, because we get to learn so much about the kids quite quickly and all of them are so different because you have like the Joker's daughter in Duella. Then you have Harper and Colin Rowe who are, who are comic book characters, even if they're not as famous of a comic book characters. And then you, of course you have um, Bruce Wayne's adopted son, Turner, who's more of an original character. He is an original character. And I know some people weren't happy that you and you have an ensemble full of comic book characters. Your lead is an Osei. I have issues with that after my arrow days have scarred me. But um, I think it works. I think it works quite well. And the setup that we brought, we were first met Carrie Kelly in the opening, and then we didn't really see her much again, other than when she left the rose on Batman's casket. We then meet her again at the end, and we find out that she was actually Robin. Such a unique interpretation. But I know we were most excited about Carrie Kelly coming into the show, and I think she could be the most interesting character of them all. She's fun, she's quirky, and that's everything a Robin should be. She doesn't have the yellow and red outfit, so we're going in a completely different tone here. Gotham Knights doesn't do color; it's completely like dark and grim. But like, I feel like this is this could work. This is a. I'm interested to see where this goes. It's a very original Elseworlds story. And if you can take the canon out of it, I think you'll enjoy the show a lot more. Um, 
I like Turner. I don't think he had an awful lot to work with in the first episode because we jumped over all the grief. Just to, again, the pilot just kind of went through the motions. But now that that's out of the way, I think it could be an interesting dynamic because he has all these like cartoonish characters around him. Carrie Kelly, who he might like. Stephanie, who he might like helping him on the bat computer. And then him, a very like... Uh, prim and proper kind of student who likes who likes life as it was and doesn't know how to deal with all this dark and gritty crime fighting stuff. I think what you've got there is a genius concept. I just don't think the pilot got the time to tell that story. So I think going forward, we really could have some amazing episodes if the show lives up to its potential. Yeah, I think so, especially because when you take into context Turner's life, like um, there's a really great moment when he uses his one phone call to call Stephanie. And he mm-hmm. asks for her help. And he says, you know, that they are friends um, because she's the one who recognized that in order for, to be adopted by Bruce, both of his parents had died. And so now we're, he's in a situation in which he's lost another parent and he's an orphan yet again. So I, I think that'll be interesting how they play with that, especially juxtaposed to the kids he's running with. Um, because the Rose siblings, their father is absolutely horrible. Uh, and mm-hmm. they needed to get out of that household. And then you have Duella, who grew up in Arkham Asylum, who is very aware of how things went down between her parents. So she's messed up. Like so, the the it's just it would be, I want to know. And I had said I wasn't going to continue watching, but we'll see if I end up on episode <laughs> two after all. But I want to know when they actually have time to sit down whether or not the other kids are going to pick at Turner's complicated feelings about being adopted because they in their minds you got adopted by the um, richest man in a lot of places actually it's not just Gotham so and to have a problem with that they would they would be like what's your issue you know like Mm -hmm. you you were taken care of you were you were dropped at the best of schools presumably though it's not quite clear Bruce was around Um, Mm -hmm. so he had guardianship and they had nothing so I, I do want to see how that dynamic works when we're talking about kids who have rough, had rough um, upbringings versus a kid who had a tragic beginning, but some would say won the lottery by being mm-hmm. selected by Bruce. It's very interesting because at the end of the day, on paper, Turner did have a life of comfort, but he was adopted into that life of comfort after suffering the worst tragedy of all. So, you know, that should not be downplayed. But at the end of the day, a lot of people who didn't live that life of comfort would understandably be like, no, you had the best life you could ever hope for. But like Turner said on the phone to Stephanie, in order to gain a new parent, he had to lose two before that. So you can't, of course, you can completely understand where he's coming from. And I thought it was very effective in the start when he said his he thought his father was coming to, it was in his his fencing competition. He thought he was going Mm -hmm. to be there. And Stephanie said he probably had to work late. That was a double entendre because it could have meant two things. One, Bruce was a deadbeat dad who never showed up to things and always had to work late. Or two... Batman's busy, wink, wink, <laughs> nudge, nudge. But it was the third one that no one saw coming. Bruce and Batman are dead. So that was a very effective introduction. We knew there was more to that story with that one line of dialogue. And then in the phone call between Turner and Stephanie, you find that out a lot more. Um, 
I think Stephanie and Turner's relationship could be the most interesting thing about Turner because that's where he can be himself mm-hmm. with. And I hope we get to see more of that. But also, he really seems to get on with Carrie Kelly. So, and she knows the side of Bruce and Batman that he didn't. So that could be great as well. I think there's so much potential. But I will say one of the dynamics I'm looking most forward to is his kind of like unusual kinship with Duella. They're so opposite one being Batman's son one being the Joker's daughter and her being so like slightly unhinged but she has a plan and Turner being a lot more hinged but he doesn't have a plan so the two of them are completely like two sides of the same coin and I I really really like that kind of unusual spark between them she was like you almost got us killed and he was like you're right I'm sorry but then she like hits him and was like apology accepted I really like that. So I hope we get to see more of that going forward. I think there's so much potential with Turner. I just think because the pilot had to go through the motions, we never really got to see any of it. And I hope we get to see it going forward. I keep saying going forward because Gotham Knights as a show excites me a lot more than the pilot actually did, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. That makes sense. I think it's because the pilots have to do a lot of work. I think mm-hmm. that is why for some shows you do actually have to watch past the pilot. There are some incredible pilots out there. I think Gotham Knights was decent. They had a lot mm-hmm. of legwork to do and it really isn't until towards the end of the episode that you really get to see where the show could go. Um, the group of kids seem like they're going to be the best part of what, yeah. of what the show is. And of course they should be because it is an ensemble cast and they are the leads. But I wish that the Harvey Dent stuff was better i i'm not quite convinced uh with misha collins interpretation of harvey dent just yet he just seems like a suit right a suit with nice coats it, it's just nothing mm-hmm. there yet that's giving me what i wanted like he's not i always feel like the 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 first face of harvey dent um before he becomes the villain he's supposed to be a politician that you believe in mm-hmm. like um well in this case he's the da but you know what i mean Oh yeah, totally. Uh, and he's just, I, he, he didn't give that to me. I didn't feel reassured by him. I didn't feel like he commands the attention that you would think his character would um, or that, or the authority of it. Mm-hmm. He did come off in that one moment where I believe that's Cullen, um, where he dismisses the detective because the de- detective is being transphobic and mm-hmm. Harvey's not going to let that stand. So I like that the compassionate side was there same with when he was trying to say Robert Turner kill his father like I've known I'm basically that kid's uncle he would not do this yeah I agree with that and I if you've seen the dark night you know how much the slogan we believe in Harvey Dent carries in Gotham it's an important thing and we as viewers have to believe in Harvey Dent and I do feel that like when he was on screen with Turner we got that and when he was standing up for Colin we got that as well but again I think that going through the motions of the pilot kind of worked against him in the end because so Batman the animated series did a good thing where Two-Face had a or Harvey had a darkness within and it was only when he got like burnt and the accident happened that the other face came out that that other personality could thrive. So he was he was struggling with two personalities. I think that's what Gotham Knights is going for. But they kind of got there in a very basic kind of way that undid all the character work they did with Harvey Dent. Because suddenly one shitty politician woman was able to make him turn his back on his entire family. And I didn't like that. I think in hindsight, the promo for what's coming up in the season 
makes it stand up better because we do see that shot of Harvey smashing the mirror and half of the mirror is all distorted showing that Two-Face is coming but he's already in here mentally Mm -hmm. and I think if we'd gotten a bit more of that in the pilot it would have held up better but right now it made him look a bit one-dimensional and then he turned his back on his family just so that he could become the mayor it works if you know the story but the whole point of a pilot is that you don't know the story going in so I feel like it kind of let him down from that front I don't get that we believe in Harvey Dent I do get that he's a good person on one side and then he's struggling with his demons but I have decades of comic book knowledge to back that up I don't know if the average viewer would so I I agree I don't know if we need the whole Harvey heel turn this quickly but again I assume that woman whispering sweet nothings in his ear is part of the court of owls and that they're pulling the strings it makes sense from that standpoint, but I still think Harvey Dent is a stronger judge of character and should have taken a little bit more before he swung on the opposite we're going to hunt these kids down direction. Yeah, I want them to twist his arm more. Like mm-hmm. I want it to be like a difficult turn. Um, and we just did not get that in the pilot. But the one the thing about sophomore episode, like the second episode, is we do tend to slow down. So perhaps mm-hmm. that is what uh we will sort of um recalibrate that interaction for Harvey in episode two. Uh, but I think, how did you feel about the Court of Owls reveal? Because I thought it was one of the best parts of the pilot. I feel like they they landed, um, like they stuck their landing about making it creepy. Like I mm-hmm. felt very uncomfortable. And even if you have like a basic knowledge of what, what could happen to these kids, it's just like, oh, maybe put the coin back. <laughs> put, it, put it put it back and don't look you any further into this i i we i watched this episode about a month or two before it aired and i'm kind of annoyed that i accidentally watched a trailer for the episode right before i did it because it spoiled the court of isles reveal i have to say if you didn't know going in that was an excellent reveal it built up to it nicely and you thought that was it colin who swiped the watch was just like here's a souvenir and then you saw the owl on it they were building up to it really really well and the fact that someone as unhinged as the joker's daughter like duella suddenly became serious and like uh, the most logical of the group it was like we can't go we can't do this any further they should have just killed us that was very effective because Duella doesn't fear anything. She had a gun pointed in front of her and didn't care. Whereas now suddenly she's completely fearful of what the Court of Isles are capable of. Excellent reveal. Also, I'm not a graphic person, so I don't think I didn't love the ending. But the whole point is it was very effective. And I think that was the whole point was that we weren't supposed to love it. It ended very abruptly, just like that per man's life. But uh, mm-hmm. so like, I think it was... The Court of Isles, again, to use what I said about Superman and Lois and Bruno Mannheim, is not to be trifled with. And these kids have found themselves in the crosshairs through no fault of their own. All they are doing is trying to survive. And they have become the biggest thorn in the Court of Isles side since Batman. And we know how that turned out for Batman. So how do these kids survive? I do think that was a very effective build up. And I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with throughout the season and uh, the court of isles is adapted on tv quite a bit i think gotham did them as well but mm-hmm. we never actually get to see them in like the movies or the animated shows so they're still very much untouched in that sense so i can't wait to see what gotham knights does with them because they're still relatively new villains to the overall mainstream batman audience i'm sure comic villains are more familiar with them but i mean they have such a scope here to work with. They can do whatever they've liked. They've already committed the biggest sin in Batman stories, which is killing off Batman. So, I mean, like, we have a clean slate here. The Court of Isles, I think, could be an incredible villain for this season. And I'm glad they've opted for a non 
mainstream famous one while also mm-hmm. telling the origins of Two-Face, which is a more mainstream famous one. So Gotham Knights has a lot to work with and I'm just going to keep harping on about how excited I am about where the story could go. And you're not alone. Like, again, <laughs> to reiterate that people are just really... I appreciate that people have decided to give it a chance. Um, and it's actually made me want to watch episode two. Um, I uh, think, it, I mean, between our like spoiler free review that we did and then seeing the response um, from people who are casual, like Batman fans, to people who actually really um, partake in a lot of Batman <laughs> stories, uh, that, that there is a middle ground where everyone's like, you know what, let's have some fun. Like, I, I think that that's really good for this show. And I think that if it's given more time, I'm hopefully not six episodes worth of time. Okay. <laughs> like I, I mean, it really shouldn't be like the middle of the season that it, it picks up, but it could be a fun ride. And I don't think I want to miss out on it. Eh, I'm glad you said that. And I agree. I, you know how critical I was off the first trailer, but I have to every other trailer that shows some of what's coming up in the season looks like so much fun. And I think as, as this team of teenagers gets together and actually establishes themselves as the Gotham Knights, it'll get a lot more fun because Gotham Knights is what this show is all about. It's literally in the title. So I think as as when they become the Gotham Knights and start doing like standalone adventures while also trying to clear their name, I think that's when the show will find its footing. And I hope it does it quickly because like I said, great concept and I hope the execution of it lives up to that. Fingers crossed. Manifesting it. Yes, manifesting. Uh but to to leave Gotham to move to I wouldn't Hershey Bright Hershey Bay is brighter, right? But still mm-hmm. just as dark, like as, as far as what's going on in the plot. Um I again I think that this whole people missing their hearts uh story is gonna stretch in stretch um for a good portion of the season. I mean, I'm interested in this choice that they've decided to do um with that. I think moving away from case of the week makes sense for a 13 episode season um, mm-hmm. that they would want to focus on a, a longer arc. Uh, but I also like that because we're setting all of this up, we get Nancy actually having to work within the boundaries of what the police are doing, <laughs> which is yeah. not something she's used <laughs> to doing at all. I always said Nancy Drew is a bit like a superhero show because she's basically like a bit like a vigilante and then she goes off and does her own thing but this season you're starting to see all the paperwork that's involved in that the prevention (laughs) that's involved in that the like strings that are attached to it and I think that she's starting to realize that as well especially now that she's got a job in law enforcement I there's so much to talk about here but also on that same point of uh horseshoe bay being quite dark it is unusual I said mentioned this last week the lighting is dull like it's always been even though the sun is shining this show is very much like a dark kind of tone with a dark kind of hue but this this season's getting a bit more whimsical and I kind of like that about it like when Nancy was trying to set up the trash can to break into the house and then Bess was looking for the candle at the same time (laughs) and she's like can't really talk right now there's they're going out of their way to they're trying something different and I really appreciate that and I think it's because Nancy's Nancy's like I don't want to say like her self-deprecation and the, the like the the doubt she had against herself that's not playing into the storyline as much as she kind of got over that last season so it's giving them more room to work with what's going on around them and with this like like you said the serial killer story is stretching on beyond just 13 episodes and the fact now that it, it's not just a serial killer that started up it could actually be the frozen hearts killer who was uh, active was it in alaska before and yes. and 
Uh, so th- I feel like that's there's like there's like mythology that took place before the show the season even began and they're going to build up to that so this is a threat again that needs to be taken seriously and we've got the right person involved like Nancy Joe but between that and her dynamic with Agent Park and the police department there's a lot going on in the season and I really like it there is and I am once again living off of Nancy and Agent Park <laughs> content I, yes. I really do enjoy him as a character and I think his brain is so weird and I, I, I think <laughs> it's, it's very like he's he's still charming but very brass tacks right like so mm-hmm. even when they're interacting in the office and she wants to do more and he's like there is a serial killer who is targeting you. And while I do appreciate that all that you can bring to the case, I'd rather you do that here with the files that I've given you. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I'm just like, tell her. I mean, she's not going to listen, but like, I think <laughs> we should at least say it. But I also like how much he loves her brain. And like, mm-hmm. and he does not, like, even though she did mess up and then we have, she could have, were those nails? She could have died yeah. through, through um, a volley of nails. He did not, like yell at her he did not like diminish her contributions he just said these things happen like you made a choice it wasn't the right choice now we just deal with what uh, moving forward and she's not used to that Mm-mm. she's used no. to law enforcement telling her that she should not be here and he he's not telling her that he's just saying you know be cognizant of how much this affects you um and i love the romantic suspense moment as like it's like being in an action movie where there's romance because <laughs> like he barges into the house when she stepped on the plate and he um i will say her sneezing was was not the way to go about getting him to launch across the room but i'll take it whatever we had to do but his his like dash across the room flip at the table spin her around and they they hit the floor before everything goes off i was like this is the content that i deserve it's yes. the content <laughs> that i love and the fact that she has to save him next when he and she's like is it are we done? And he tries to peep up and then she has to bring him back down because another volley comes. I'm just... Yeah. Excellent action sequence. Excellent. It was. And you mentioned the dynamic between the two of them last season or last week and I wasn't completely sold in the season premiere. I liked it, but I was like, where are we going with this? Because there was kind of the similar kind of tension that she had with Tamara, but mm-hmm. that was very much an episodic thing. Whereas I'm like, are we building this up to something? Uh, now, now in this episode, I am sold hook, line and sinker Yay. because like half of it, he's like, half of the episode, he's like, as you would be, ma'am, would you please do as you're told? And then the second <laughs> half of the episode, he is like, action hero the pivot the turn the over the table like we're ness we're 100 on board mm-hmm. the ship. but while we wait for it to dock and arrive on our screens we have a little time and i feel like this storyline is like this is the kind of pleasant kind of storyline you want and i don't i think the moment i was really sold was that scene where they had in the doorway of the office and he mm-hmm. said he, he congratulated no he said thank you Nancy just dropped any kind of decorum she had. It was like totally like almost like <laughs> schoolgirl kind of like shaky. She first of all, she didn't know what to do with being thanked, but at the same time, she was like, Whoa, he's like looking at me and thanking me. And oh my god, what am I supposed to do? It was like so natural. I some of the later stuff were like you said, sneezing or whatever. They kind of I feel like occasionally they have to dumb the character down for the plot mm. and do something they wouldn't normally do. Of course, you're gonna sneeze, but like it was an accentuated sneeze. Um, so yeah, but like I, I, on that note, I do want to credit Nancy Drew for always trying different things with what could be predictable storylines. You're like, oh no, Nancy's going to be dumbed down and walk into a trap. But no, they made a storyline out of it. Uh, Agent Park did not 
a reprimander for it. He was totally like, we all make mistakes as long as you're okay. That was a pleasant take on it. That was a pleasant turn. And that made me like him even more. And then the fact that I think he did. Did he get injured by one of the nails or I did he? So. Yeah. His arm is wrapped. Exactly. And I noticed that beforehand. And I don't know whether that was the actor's choice or just a, like a moment they said stick hand. But Nancy was like, we're okay, right? He was like, yeah. And then kind of grabbed the bottom off his coat. I was like, what are we doing here? And then later on, we see that it's actually bandaged up. Never made a story about it. They mentioned his shaking, but they never actually referenced the fact that he got injured. So they're being more subtle about what could be really obvious storylines. And I just wanted to say, there's another one and I'll bring it up later when it comes back to me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what it was, but this episode, it, it subverted your expectations. Nancy's used to doing that, but this was a more like in your face kind of subversion. And I just wanted to say, I really appreciate it the way it did that. Yeah, and it's a very investigative episode, and it's not just her doing the investigation work. Mm -hmm. Like, you have, like, she is working in tandem with Park, and they are coming to some conclusions about this frozen heart killer. Um, But also, while she's doing that, Ace and Nick are sciencing at at the claw. Um, And I'm just like, so that they can... um, give her the means of how the heart has been removed and I really enjoyed that they were in their goggles and their gloves and they and they had the um what was it nitrogen like that they were I think so yeah they they were putting it into and I'm just like I love the balance Nancy Drew is another show that is really good at balancing all the plots that it's doing Mm -hmm. So the fact that Nancy's not alone working on the case, that she's got her friends working too, so she can provide information. And then you have the unexpected team up between her and Temperance, which she just has to allow because we have to, like, we have to get further on the case. I will say the help (laughs) to to go into the (laughs) memories was another part where I was like, why would she go to Temperance's house again? But okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I, I, I like the fact that they're playing the long game with Nancy and Temperance. We don't know what Temperance's sto- uh, purpose is yet, but they're not afraid to have them interact once in a while, which I appreciate it. But at the same time, that happened. Nancy was kind of scarred by that experience. So she was like, you know what? I'm out of here. But they're keeping Temperance relevant by bringing Bess into the storyline now, mm-hmm. which is something I also appreciate it. And to go back, I think I think it was Reed that said last week that... Uh, he doesn't know what they're doing with Bess yet. And we hope that she has more than just this random dating storyline. And now we find that Bess has a purpose. So yet again, thank you, Nancy Drew, for solving these problems very, very quickly. Is Bess a witch? Or is she going to like toy in the supernatural? Because regardless of what Bess's storylines have been, she's always played a bit of a supporting role. Even when she was, I don't want to say she was getting in with the Marvins, but even when she was like being the Marvins were a family and she was like learning to know more about them that was very much Owen driven uh, Elizabeth's driven there was always a storyline going on there now Bess seems to be at the center of a storyline and could end up being the most important part of it and I'm really excited to see what that means for especially after with Temperance's prophecies and said how one of them could be the downfall of all of them could Bess be the downfall of all of them if she started to learn more about her powers and she's working with Temperance who we don't know was good or bad so there's a lot to work with there. And like I said earlier, Nancy keeps subverting storylines. And before I go on far too much, the one thing I did want to remember was the other thing I mentioned earlier was about how it keeps subverting storylines. Nick and George, the storyline where George lost the ring. I was like, 
how many shows feel the need to do this storyline. But in the end, George didn't lose the ring. Her sister took it. And then that ended up becoming a real meaningful conversation involving mm-hmm. Nick becoming part of the family. So this storyline plays with things we don't like and turns them things into we that we do like. And again, that takes talent. And I just wanted to take a moment to appreciate that. It does. And I think to be able to put a storyline um, about family in a, in a an episode that has a lot to do uh, was an interesting choice. And I think that it, it works well um, mm-hmm. because we haven't really touched on how George's sisters feel about mm-hmm. her going on a separate journey than them because she's older and she's in a committed relationship and um she's going to get married and i liked that it the nick being nick because he's like the best dude like just really wants her sisters to feel secure in um in this whole dynamic they've got going on to the point where he is even willing to lie about what happened to the ring. And I liked that George's sister um, went ahead and said what had happened. So then we could get to the root of the issue because it's a family of women. Like they don't mm-hmm. generally have um, any men there full time. And so of course they would be wondering whether or not George is going to be just like their mom. And now that she has a man in her life, she's basically going to abandon them. George has never shown signs of that, but they're children. And like, and this mm-hmm. is the, I think that's her, that's the middle child, right? I forget her name. I think so. Yes. Um, that was They're not in it enough. <laughs> They're not in it enough. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's this. So she is old enough to remember how Victoria is, but young enough to be concerned about what mm-hmm. it means for her in their home dynamic in the way that her, that her older sister wouldn't and the younger sister wouldn't. And I just really... So enjoyed that. I like that we took the time, even as ridiculous as it was, that we were like, we were. I didn't like that they were making Nick feel bad, um, yeah. in order to hide that um, George thought she had lost the ring. But I did like the story around those decisions. Yeah, and it's funny how it all started because the the sisters were being mean to Nick to keep him out of the way of George so that she could find the ring. It all started very much as like a caper. But then we saw what that actually meant to Nick because I, I really enjoyed the scene between him and S where they're like, S was like, it's actually misleading the way it says fast freezing because it takes like 20 minutes. And they were like, <laughs> all right then. And then had that like awkward moment where they're like, okay, well, what, what do we actually talk about? But we're not in a supernatural caper. And there was a good few seconds and that's such an S scene just to not know what to say or whatever. But then he asked Nick a rather unusual and direct question, but it prompted Nick to open up about how what being a member of George's family and getting on with her sisters meant to him. And then that like played into the rest of the story nicely. So again, using such predictable tropes and turning them into gold, golden storylines, really appreciated that. And I was thinking of you and Reed a lot during the episode because you all have said Nick has such dad energy. Never yes. in my life have I seen that portrayed more in this episode. Like, the fact, the way he got on with George's sister so well when he found that she took the ring, he didn't make her feel bad about it, but he did acknowledge why it was wrong and that how he's never going to leave. And then he was willing to not, not take the fall, but make up a, a harmless lie that would protect her from, uh, not George's wrath, but protect George from the truth so that they wouldn't have to find out what she did. Mm-hmm. And then I liked the fact that the sister opened up and it became all this, this almost like heartfelt moment. I almost thought at the moment when uh, George hugged her sister or the two of them looked around, they were going to go like, to Nick and bring that would have been a little more on the nose they did the work with the storyline and Nick is getting there and Nick is becoming member of the family and yet such a dad through and through I love that storyline 
I know, and they, they even like the the BTS moment where she did the sister take yes. away. We go back, and he that's how he bonds with them by like yes. what's what's Jungkook's hair color now, and it's like trick question. <laughs> it's blonde, <laughs> and they're like, what? And like it's just such a cute family moment. He's like mm-hmm. he's definitely willing to step in and be another caring figure in their life, and I'm just like Nick is great. The the men on. Nancy Drew are just so well written because even the dads had something to do this, yes. this episode. And you have Carson flying off the handle and like Nancy not really wanting to deal with it. And I'm like, Nancy, there's a serial killer who keeps giving you um their, their killings, like they're a cat giving you murder presents. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like of course he's out here losing his mind, but then you have Ryan wanting to be the cool dad. Mm-hmm. And how that can also be like a fallacy right like because she is older and she will manipulate you and Carson had to read him just a bit and I appreciated so much that towards the end of the episode Ryan was like that's not cool like Mm -hmm. I was I'm we're really trying to I thought we're trying to form a bond and you using me like that wasn't all right and then Carson comes in and we have this great moment where like Nancy actually has to deal with the repercussions of what she did and they don't it doesn't feel it just it feels like you need to acknowledge our hurt and then we need to set so like directions Mm -hmm. and boundaries for you to do and she acknowledges it even though she's like I don't know what to do I I can only (laughs) be me (laughs) and they were like be transparent about what you're doing and Mm -hmm. we will try to be okay yeah, and that's another one of them storylines. I totally, uh, 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 I'm on so on board with the way they did that because they kind of like accentuated Carson at the start. It was like, I'm checking her phone. Why is she here? Why is she there? And I was like, where are we going with this? And why are we playing it for laughs? And then you knew that Ryan was going to be the cool dad. And we mentioned last week how we like seeing him get involved in the storylines. And he was like, what's the next step? Oh, am I a detective now? What What would you usually do from here? But she started lying to him because she was just to, to protect him. But as we've learned with Nancy, her shutting people out is what ultimately leads to danger and conflict. Mm-hmm. And it was so important that she learned the lesson. Ryan learned a bit of a lesson too. So I'm glad that we saw that over-accentuated, over-the-top Carson was actually right in the situation because he had every right to be concerned about for The show might have played it for laughs at the start, but nothing... I know you can say parents can invade your privacy and technically that's what he was doing, but he had every right to be concerned because Nancy's a bit reckless. She has gotten over that with her friends, but clearly she still has a way to go when it comes to her dad's now because that's never a situation she's been in before. Carson's starting to hold on tighter and I think Ryan realised he wasn't holding on tight enough. Being the cool dad comes with consequences and he found out what they were, hook, line and sinker. So I feel like it was such a learning experience for everyone except Carson. Carson knows everything. He is just like, that man is an icon. But um, I feel like it was such an important scene. And again, not like I said, it's not that George's sister needed to face the wrath of George because there was love behind what George said. George opened up to her and I feel like at the exact same here. Nancy didn't feel the wrath of her dads, but she saw that they were hurt and she finally saw their points. So I feel like this season is going to be more subtle as far as Nancy's growth goes because the previous seasons understandably had a head is over the head with it a little bit because she cause her, her growth itself was at the centre of the storyline. Whereas now I feel like she's starting to quietly learn things as we're going on. And I think that's right, because at the end of the day, she's been through a lot in the last two seasons and she needs to grow from it. But at the same time, the growth can be slow, growth can be quiet, growth can be subtle. And it's important that 
she takes on what her dad said and I also I can't wait to see where Ryan goes with this because he still feels like such a fish out of water being a human that hasn't had everything done for him that has no access to money and that the only people in his life deeply care about him and aren't there to say yes Ryan no Ryan you're doing that wrong Ryan so I think there is so much room to wriggle with all of the characters and the story keeps playing it in such a clever way that you're like ah oh, that's where they went with it by the end of it true and they have these the decision making when you're scared um is like mm-hmm. is so elevated and that's what happened with Carson and then Ryan having to sit in the reality of the choices that he made um I think Nancy not <laughs> appreciating that she left Ryan in the driveway unaware of what's going on mm-hmm. and truly thinking that he possibly could be the cause of his daughter's death because he he was not aware of, of the danger she was putting herself in. I think like you always have to get Nancy to slow down because she's yeah. always like justice, the case, I know what I'm doing. And like, and when she doesn't know what she's doing, it it blows up in her face, literally um, yeah. <laughs> in, this, <laughs> in this episode. Um, I did like that she, she realized later the weight of what she had done, um, not just in endangering her life, but in Park's life. And um, to be honest, endangering the lives of her dads in the sense that they'd be broken, having found out that that is what um, had happened to her, which I guess when you do make decisions that Carson was making or Nancy was making, um, it would make sense that Bess is also making bad choices to circle back to her. I will say I didn't quite buy that she'd willingly just be like, yes, Temperance helped me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I thought about it from the direction of she's absolutely terrified that Ace is not going to take her warnings um, and that something is going to happen to him and he's her family. So like we're willing to to dabble in the magic bag, even though we have no idea what we're doing um, because, you know, ancestry, perhaps she has, this, <laughs> she has a spark and she messed up the spell. And so she needed Temperance's help. Um, I thought it was interesting that Ace dismissed it that that best mm. had even tried to do something to protect him he's he's being a bit of a nancy uh yes. in terms <laughs> in terms of pushing her away when he is aware he is not doing right like he wants to he wants to believe that papa bobsy is a good dude and mr bobsy is not showing that i did i did like though that as soon as he saw the blood he's like get out my car mm-hmm. like get and, get out Bless him, he wouldn't make eye contact. He was so, he didn't want to do that, but he was like, nope, the line has been drawn, can't do that. That is such, that was such an eighth moment because he he was like, Bess is right, Bess is right, get him out, get him out, get him out. But he didn't want to look at him because even then, you know, Ace doesn't like hurting people's feelings, but he was like, nope, can't do this, get out, get out, get out. He was so uncomfortable in that moment. He was like, must abort. And I did appreciate that because so many TV shows have people go ahead with things and ignore things. Ace was not willing to ignore that. And I really, really like that. And it's funny we talk about bad luck after just watching this Flash episode as well, because per Ace ended up in like a streak of bad luck. And I, I would have liked to have seen, has that curse been broken? Has Bess started a new one? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we didn't, Ace endured a lot of bad luck there. And yet the moment it was spoken into the atmosphere, it all stopped. And I was like, mm, I would have liked to have seen us go a bit more here, but that's because Ace has gone very Nancy about the situation. And I, nope, no, that's not supernatural. Couldn't possibly be. And I mean, they're rubbing off on each other. And I mean, like, that's good considering where the season's going. 
it's good that they're breaking, not breaking, but giving him and Nancy a bit of room to breathe on their own because Ace has such great dynamics with Nick, with Bass, while obviously Nancy has such great dynamics with her dads as well. And then George was kind of stuck in the middle of everyone this week, this week which was nice to say. They're letting the cast breathe because we know Nancy and Ace are going to find their way to each other. We know Bass and the... Uh, um, Bess and Ace are going to be involved in the storyline, whatever this is. And we know Ace and Amanda is going to come back up. There's so much room to go, but this is how you do a 13 episode season, right? It 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 had so much stakes in its second episode, but yet it paired off in different dynamics and it worked. And I don't know where Bess is going to go now. It's an interesting storyline for her because she's always been so like lighthearted and so like heartfelt and humble so where where does best be in a dark sorcerer of magic or, or a good sorcerer of dark magic we don't know yet lead in like is she the downfall of her friends i'm glad i'm I'm excited to see what kind of role temperance plays but like i said i feel like nancy will be her main priority as the season goes on so i like the fact that nancy was kind of scarred by the fact that she invaded her mind and there's like yep not, not doing that again and left her so that lets temperance focus on best for a little while not really sure where we're going, but very much like we said about Superman at Lois, there's a lot of new and different dynamics this season that I'm really starting to like. I do wonder if Bess is going to be, well, she's a novice right now, but mm-hmm. I, she's just, she's a character who kind of just throws herself into situation, hoping for the best. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't know how the magical system is going to work in Nancy Drew, but typically there is a cost. And um, it's, she, it's, bright and shiny to her right now and I'm like Bess there's a like what you put out in the universe like well what the universe gives you in magical systems you have to to give back what are you going to give back to this magical system it might not work like that on Nancy Drew Mm I have a feeling it will though and that is the thing that I am concerned about because you can't just keep taking (laughs) there's something that has to be returned yeah, as we've learned on Nancy Drew, magic, or as we learned on Once Upon a Time, and Nancy Drew, actually, <laughs> magic comes at a cost. And I feel, I don't know what the cost is going to be, but I, I cannot get that prophecy that, or uh, fortune telling that uh, Temperance did last season out of my head, and that, or last week out of my head, that feels like, is Bess going to be the downfall of her friends? Is this what's going to lead to that? You know, everyone seems to have a very per. Uh, outlook based on temperance's mm-hmm. cards so who has worst is it Bess or is Bess the one responsible for everyone else's downfall i just feel like this is such a like tricky storyline and i'm going to look forward to how they kind of handle it because like i said Bess is light she's sweetness she's hard how do you do that with magic and they do say the road to hell is paved with good intentions and she's very much doing this out of love she's very much doing this to protect s but Will the consequences of this be far worse than what S is about to endure at the hands of Amanda's dad? I don't know. But also, what was with the light bubble going into the cat at the end of the episode? I mean, what what are we doing with this? I don't know. I was so distracted because I was like, ooh, cat. Because <laughs> I love cats. <laughs> but like, but also, I was like, who's from, um, one, to know if it's a regular cat for one. But two, mm. it's not who's, I'm assuming that's temperance familiar. And if that's mm. her familiar, like, in what sense? Because it depends. I love magic. I'm just going to say I love <laughs> magical plots. So I'm like, if it's if it's her familiar, either that is a being that helps her with everything and can potentially talk or, like, do a voice um, in her head, or it's her magic carrier. Like, mm. he, and he, and he, 
the cat is around for a specific purpose. So, uh, or it could actually be somebody trapped in an animal. It really just depends. Uh, this is the part of Nancy Drew that I'm really excited about. Like I told y'all when we finished see the season two finale, the fact that magic is here has me like elated. It's it's mm -hmm. my favorite version of paranormal slash supernatural storytelling. So we'll see what we they do on Nancy Drew. Uh, but I hope we come back to that cat and I want to know its name. <laughs> yes, yeah. I feel like, am I wrong in thinking, did the first episode of the season end with Temperance operating on a cat? Was it? Yes, she it was. The I wonder if it was the cat. dude's, yeah, it was the dude's cat who got got his heart taken out, wasn't didn't he have it in like a kennel kind of cage thing? Mm -hmm. And then, then it was missing and then Temperance had it and did she kill it? Was it dead by the frozen heart killer? And did she put a different soul or a power into its body? I don't know. But now I didn't even realize that until we were talking about it. Is the cat the big storyline of the season? <laughs> Where are we going with this? Maybe. Oh, that'd be interesting. But I just realized that cat from the opener, I think, is cream. And this was a great uh, okay. cat. And I think a different okay. breed, too. But that, it, okay, that makes sense. But Temperance loves cats one way or another. She well, I don't, I can't, I don't know about cat organs. So I don't know if that was like a spleen or a lung or a heart <laughs> <laughs> that she took out. But I'm assuming it was meant to be used for a spell of some kind. Mm -hmm. This is the side of magic I don't like, the gruesome side. <laughs> the gruesome side. She was like, la la la, getting a heart from the cat. <laughs> um, but like the, unless she brought her own cat back, who knows? And it, mm. <laughs> I think this is getting away from us, <laughs> the, the cat talk. But just to wrap up Nancy, the text message that she sent to Ace because they're going to some type of convention. Are we getting a nice episode for episode oh. three? Oh, I hope so. I hope so. It would make up because they had like no interactions at all in this episode much. Although Nancy did say, what's with the eye? When he had the frozen <laughs> yes. piece of the eye. No one answered that question. And then she just walked off and that poor man was standing there and no one asked how he was. <laughs> but um, uh, Yeah, um, I would like to see them back together now for a, an adventure because regardless of where the storyline is going, that show is never better than when those two are on the screen solving something mm -hmm. together. They have an incredible dynamic. And we're, we're, I, we know where it's going, but regardless of what you want to call their dynamic currently, probably the best kind of like bestie, uh, confidant relationship chemistry on the show. And then the show thrives when the two of them are solving something together. So I hope we get to see that. I love the fact that they have like a detective con in the same way Riverdale had serial killer con. <laughs> so uh, the, the CW loves its cons. Um, <laughs> so I just, I, I if, if we have a nice episode next week, that would be a great way because the season is going in such the right direction. And I would love to see even more of that with a nice episode. If we have a nice episode, Reed's going to lose his mind. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> He's yes. going to be so excited. <laughs> uh, but that's, wow, we've come to the end of like our watch section, which, you know, superhero heavy. Like it was DCTV, but like you said, Nancy's her own superhero. So it yeah, all exactly. fits together. Uh, superhero edition <laughs> superhero edition but uh that's the end of this week's pod i'm sabrina and i'm michael where the cw spiral see y'all what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. 
Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today.